Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Those cries were heard across Turkey this week. It's been a year since the earthquakes that killed nearly 60,000 people hit Turkey and Syria. To mark the anniversary, millions of people are publicly mourning what is being called the disaster of the century. The government has promised to find new homes for those displaced by the earthquake, but hundreds of thousands of people are still sleeping in tents, shipping containers, or on the street. Selva Yavan is one of them. She spoke with the Associated Press. An entire year has passed, and we're still on the streets. We don't have anything. Nothing is reflected as it is. Nothing. We want someone to do something already. We've already paid enough dues, and we are willing to pay, because all we have left is our lives. None of our losses have been done justice. Victoria Craig is a freelance reporter based in Turkey, a contributor to the BBC. She is in Ankara. Victoria, hello. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You were just in Antakya, which is one of the worst affected cities. Um, When you were there, just compare the atmosphere from this week to what it was like a year ago. I mean, really, there hasn't been much progress. And I think that's one thing that really shocks a lot of people because you think 365 days have passed since, as you say, what people are calling the worst disaster in a century. So when you think about that timeline, you think there's been plenty of it to be able to clean up, to maybe think about rebuilding what the city will look like, more city planning. But really, in a place like Antakya, the worst hit, none of that has begun because the last 365 days have really been focused on cleanup. It's still a deconstruction construction zone even now. And one of the hotel workers I spoke to while I was down there a few days ago said he compared his city to, you know, he was like, you look out the window and it looks like what I imagined Gaza might look like, you know, after the relentless bombing that they've been seeing for the last couple of months. I mean, he he said it, it's just this stark illustration of what it is. And that's exactly what it is. As you walk around the city, there are just vacant lots that are just covered in like a layer of crumbled concrete and glass and painted tiles. And you can see these remnants of life that used to happen there. And this city, Antakya in particular, it's the biblical Antioch. There's history on every street corner. But all of that essentially has been reduced to ruin and rubble. And there is still, you know, half collapsed buildings that are still in need of being deconstructed, brought down. As I was leaving just yesterday, there was a big hotel that had been shaken in half by the earthquake and they had only just started to remove that. So it is still very much a work in progress. And although there's talk about reconstruction and how they can restore this historical city, it's still a long way off. There's a lot of anger as well. You were at uh, a rally earlier this week. Um, Describe the scenes there. 
it was really intense. So in Antakya and indeed across the earthquake zone, um, survivors, government officials had intended to mark the exact time of each earthquake. There were two very big earthquakes on February 6th last year. Um, the first one was at 4 a.m. And in Antakya, it was it was a really eerie morning. You know, I woke up and we had planned to go to this rally. Um, we knew a lot of people were going. We knew that the governor was going to be there and the mayor. Uh, and so we, we sort of entered there. It was fog shroud. It was a really eerie kind of feeling morning, very subdued, and people gathered very slowly, very quietly, as people tend to do here when they gather for these kinds of things. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a very somber moment when people remember the lives of the 24,000 people in this area that they lost. And that was how it was. There was lots of like sort of incense burning and people bringing photos and remembering their loved ones. But as soon as the mayor and the governor walked in, immediately the whole area filled with booze and chants for the government to resign. These people are very angry at the response. A lot of people I spoke to said, you know, it took days for government officials and emergency workers, rescue workers to get there to start digging out their family. There was this very common phrase that you heard in the early days of the earthquake from the people under the rubble was, can you hear my voice? Mm. And people in the crowd on the anniversary yelled that again at the government officials as a way of saying, you know, can you hear us now? You know, we're here a year later. We're still living in temporary conditions. A lot of people complain they don't have access to basic necessities like running water. So all of these things people are very angry about. And, you know, a lot of people even said at least other people have graves to visit because they were able to dig out their relatives and loved ones from the rubble. But a lot of people don't. And there are still a lot of missing people. Um, so there's a lot of anger and frustration, certainly in Antakya. I mean, how widespread is it that people are still displaced? You spoke with somebody who's living, a man who's living in his taxi, right? Yes. And I think that's, you know, the, the very worst of it. The, the taxi driver had been living in his taxi for a year. Um, all of his extended family, he lost his his parents, his sister in the earthquake. He had to beg a bulldozer operator within the first four days to dig his family members out of the rubble. Luckily, he was living in a different apartment complex to his family. So his wife and his kids survived the disaster, but his daughter has a kidney condition. And so his family had to move to a city three hours away. And the man told me, you know, I have to get a fare in order to go visit my family because gas is so expensive. The cost of living here is very high. Inflation is above 60%. And so they're dealing with not just the fallout of this disaster a year later, but also economic conditions that make life very difficult. And so he sleeps in his taxi and he drives around the city and he watches it be deconstructed every day and is just constantly reminded all that he's lost. And I would say that Antakya is one of the worst affected cities. So that's going to be you know the worst examples of what's happened. And the government will tell you. And I've I've spoken to the governor of the wider Hatai province where Antakya sits. And he said, you know, we've provided shipping containers for people. You know, we're working on getting running water to everybody who needs it. We've provided kitchens to people in their containers because in Antakya itself, it's a city that people really love their food mm. and they have a very deep historic and very rich food cultures. So they want to be able to cook. They don't want to rely on soup kitchens and the like. But in other areas of the earthquake zone, rebuilding has become, you know, a bigger focus and a bigger project and life has returned to somewhat more normal circumstances. But in, in the worst hit area, it's, it's very far from normal life. Just before I let you go briefly, um, one of the things that you, you heard from people is, is that they worry that they're going to be forgotten, but they also worry that whatever is built back after the rubble is cleared won't be the way that it used to be. What did you take from that? 
Yeah, I'm, as I said, so in Antakya, it's a very historic city. There were three Abrahamic religions, and this is something that people there are very proud of. There was a mosque, a church, and a synagogue all in basically one square block, and everybody sort of shared in each other's cultures. And that was something that was really celebrated, that people from all walks of life could live life together in, in a sort of harmony there. Um, and they worry that that kind of culture will be lost, and not just, you know, this unseen culture, but also what you do see, the buildings there are very historic. Um, and the government says that when they're in the process of rubble clearing, they try to save these historic buildings, what's left of them, and catalog it so that they can rebuild it. But there is no real hard plan yet to rebuild some of these structures. And so there are worries that they will be rebuilt hastily, that they won't resemble anything that was there before, and that it'll, it'll just become sort of like this very uh, cookie cutter, I guess, if you if you can call it that sort of look to it. And it, it, there won't be the the same sort of historic charm that, that there once was. We spoke so much about uh, this community and, and the people in and around this region a year ago. It's important to go back and hear what has or hasn't happened a year later. Victoria, thank you very much for this. Thank you very much. Victoria Craig is a freelance reporter based in Turkey and a contributor to the BBC. We reached her in Ankara. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.